The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. You shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. That prophecy of Ezekiel has become reality in our generation. The story of Israel is part of the ministry of the Jerusalem Channel. On this historic 70th anniversary of the rebirth of Israel, please consider making a special gift to continue our media ministry through our website, the Jerusalem Channel app, or by mail. Being born again is a familiar expression in Christianity, but is this fundamental teaching something that you will find in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures? A modern library couldn't hold all the books, magazines, tracts, and movies on the subject of being born again. Yet I don't believe the concept of the new birth is understood today by the vast majority of people. Every passing generation needs to be educated concerning the gospel and being born again. Jesus patiently explained to the teacher in Israel, Nicodemus, that to inherit eternal life, he needed to be born again. The expression born again in the Greek New Testament also means to be born from above. So Jesus was speaking of the necessity of spiritual regeneration by the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's the question I want to tackle today. Is the concept of regeneration strictly a New Testament doctrine or did it originate in the Hebrew Bible? Shalom, I'm Christine Dorg, rejoicing that we're living in a day when prophetic events are unfolding rapidly. Watchmen on the walls have a full-time job just to keep pace with current events. On the one hand, we have to assess what's going on, to pray accurately, and we also need to know this word from cover to cover to understand the times and to discern the many false prophets and false teachers. The good news of the gospel is that the new birth and gift of the Holy Spirit from above is universal. Anybody from any nation or ethnic background can receive the new birth by faith. When heart renovation takes place, we immediately begin to enjoy new tastes, new habits, and new behaviors. Now, rabbis would warn about what they call the evil inclination and how to subjugate this universal condition. In Judaism, the evil inclination refers to mankind's congenital predilection to practice evil, violating the will of God. The term evil inclination is drawn from a biblical phrase, the imagination of the heart of man is evil, that occurs twice in the Hebrew Bible. 
Genesis 6, 5 states, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And in Genesis 8:21, God observes that every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. For example, because of this evil inclination, the basic need for food can become gluttony. The need for procreation can be perverted into sexual abuse. The need for provision can be twisted into avarice and greed and so on and so forth. Some streams of Judaism teach that humans acquire a good inclination at the age of maturity, but that concept is not biblical. Both the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament clearly teach that only a recreated heart can subdue the evil inclination by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. In the new birth, the Spirit of God enters the human soul and works from within to make us into a new creation with an inclination to do good. After we've become born again, we begin to think like God thinks, to feel as God feels, to love what God loves, to hate sin, not to hate sinners, but to hate sin. We begin to act as God acts and to view current events with a biblical world view. Some of the clearest references in the Bible concerning the new birth are Ezekiel 36 and John chapter 3. In all the 66 books of the Bible, the encounter of a Pharisee leader named Nicodemus with Jesus is surely one of the most important chapters in the Bible. Jesus called Nicodemus the teacher in Israel. And in their dialogue in John chapter 3, Jesus mentions the new birth no fewer than five times. But today, the born-again expression unfortunately causes many eyes to glaze over. Has born-again just become evangelical jargon, or is it vital truth? Well, Jesus rebuked Nicodemus for not knowing the doctrine of spiritual regeneration. While the first five books of Moses are absolutely foundational to understand God's overall plan, John chapter 3 must be understood to apprehend God's method of salvation. The truth of the essential doctrine of regeneration must be taken on board by every human being who's concerned about their eternal destiny. Now, the encounter in John chapter 3 between the Savior and Nicodemus could have lasted several hours. We don't know. But John gives us a summary of the salient points. Verse 1 starts out like this. A ruler of the Jews, a Pharisee named Nicodemus, came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, that title means exalted teacher. Nicodemus was willing to give Jesus that title. Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. So this exalted leader in the Jewish sect of the Pharisees was willing to affirm to Jesus' face that Jesus was a miracle-working teacher sent from God. Nicodemus admitted, we know, and not just I know that you've come from God. He and at least some of the elders recognized that Jesus was on a divine mission. For Nicodemus said, no one can do the signs that you're doing unless God is with him. Amen. 
Think about this. There hadn't been a prophet in Israel for 400 years since the time of Malachi. Jesus' forerunner, John the Baptist, was a prophet, but John wasn't a miracle worker. Israel hadn't seen spectacular signs and wonders for generations. And Moses had prophesied that God would raise up a prophet like Moses. But the Jews hadn't seen a miracle worker like Moses or Elijah or Elisha until the ministry of Jesus. Jesus performed the most extraordinary miracles, turning water into wine, healing lepers, blind eyes, even raising the dead. But Nicodemus was stunned by Jesus when Jesus talked about the greatest supernatural miracle of all, the new birth, spiritual regeneration. Jesus asserted, truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That statement pulled the rug out from under Nicodemus. As a Pharisee, he had spent a lifetime following fastidious and scrupulous requirements. You see, Pharisee means a separated one. And Nicodemus considered himself as a guardian of the law. And in his fervor to master the law, being born again simply hadn't crossed his mind. So Jesus turned Nicodemus' world upside down. He must be born again, something he couldn't achieve by keeping the law. Nicodemus would have tithed tiny little herbs and conformed to seemingly endless regulations devised by the rabbis as fences to protect the law. But at the end of the day, his heart was doubtful about salvation. He seemed to have nagging questions. And so under the cover of darkness, he sought an audience with the miracle worker Jesus. How can a man be born when he's old, he asked Jesus incredulously. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time? But Jesus answered, Nicodemus, don't be amazed that I said you must be born again. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Three times in this encounter, Jesus says, truly, truly, or amen and amen, I tell you. But how can these things be? Nicodemus asked. And Jesus then answered with a rebuke. Are you the teacher of Israel and yet you don't understand these things? Jesus implied that Nicodemus should have known about the new birth from the Hebrew scriptures. Well, I thank God for this encounter between these two Jewish men. Instead of hating and berating the Jews as the world is doing right now with the resurgence of anti-Semitism, we should continually express our debt of gratitude for Jesus, the Lion of Judah, the Savior, and we should be grateful for Nicodemus who was honest enough to seek essential truth about the new birth. In their important encounter, Jesus corrected the misconception that religion can save you. Jesus said, Nicodemus, I'm telling you the truth. You cannot put your trust in your religious achievements. Fasting can't save you. Tithing can't save you. Keeping the Sabbath and all the Levitical festivals can't save you. You need God to do what you can't do for yourself. You need a new birth from above. All your accumulated good deeds don't add up to the righteousness of God. But instead, your deeds, your mitzvahs are 
the equivalent in God's sight to a pile of filthy rags. And later, the Apostle Paul, who was a Pharisee of Pharisees, who claimed to have kept the law blamelessly, would write in the New Testament that all of his religious achievements amounted to dung in comparison with Messiah. In fact, Paul made a bold statement in Philippians 3.8. He said, I have lost everything. I consider it all as a dung heap that I may gain Messiah. So Nicodemus didn't need any more laws. He needed the Savior. He needed to become a new creation in Messiah. And only God can do that for us through the agency of the new birth. As the Hebrew scriptures affirm in Psalm 51 in verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right and new spirit within me. And that's the new birth in the Hebrew scriptures. Well, I've thought about this for a long time, and this week I received confirmation while I was doing some house cleaning. I came across the dissertation that my father, the Reverend Jesse W. Cook, Jr. of blessed memory wrote for his master's degree in theology on the new birth. My father wrote that the church must faithfully proclaim the doctrine of the new birth and warn those who prefer the doctrines of human wisdom. People throughout the world need to hear the wisdom of God. As Jesus stated in John 3, 7, you must be born from above. The new birth in the Hebrew Scriptures is the promise of God to put a new heart and His Spirit in His people. This promise is found in Ezekiel chapter 36. And here the Almighty says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove from you the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and I will be your God. You see God's promise to transform the hearts of his people was also made in Deuteronomy 30 verse 6. It says in that verse the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart with all your soul and that you may live. The concept of a circumcised heart is Hebraic language, meaning a transformed, changed, cleansed, obedient heart. So the promise of a new heart was part of the Messianic promise. And Nicodemus should have known that. I thank God that the Apostle John recorded this theological discussion between Nicodemus and Jesus, which amounted to a Bible study. And in a similar vein, I've also produced a video on the greatest Bible study in the Bible. That took place after the resurrection on Resurrection Sunday. Jesus gave a sweeping Bible study to two of his disciples on the road to Emmaus. They were downcast and heavy-hearted because of the crucifixion. But Jesus rebuked them for their lack of knowledge of the Hebrew Scriptures, just as he rebuked Nicodemus for being the master in Israel, and yet he didn't know the doctrine of the new birth. Jesus' rebuke to the disciples on the road to Emmaus is found in Luke chapter 24. 
At first, he appeared incognito as a fellow traveler. The disciples said to him, haven't you heard what happened in Jerusalem to Jesus of Nazareth? He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. But the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and crucified. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And it's now the third day since all of this happened. And some of our women amazed us by visiting his tomb this morning and they couldn't find his body. They said angels had told them that Jesus is alive. Well, still disguising himself, Jesus rebuked them saying, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Don't you know the scriptures teach that the Messiah had to suffer these things before entering his glory? And then Jesus explained to them what was written in the scriptures concerning himself, beginning with the Torah and all the prophets. As Jesus opened the scriptures to them, their hearts burned within them. And I imagine that Nicodemus's heart was also strangely warmed as Jesus opened the scriptures to him. So what other scriptures might Jesus have shared with Nicodemus concerning the new birth? Well, for sure we have one biblical reference on record because the gospel writer John mentioned it in chapter 3. Jesus explained that his atoning death by crucifixion would be foreshadowed in the book of Numbers when Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness as a cure for sin and sickness. Jesus recalled God's instruction to Moses to put a bronze snake on a pole and everybody who looked at the bronze snake, which was a type of the Messiah, lived and was cured from poisonous snake bite. Jesus used this example to answer Nicodemus's question of how the new birth is accomplished. Nicodemus certainly would have known the story. He knew that when the Israelites looked upon the serpent with faith, they didn't perish. And Jesus added, even so, must the Son of Man be lifted up that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. In the next verse, John 3.16 is perhaps the best known verse in the New Testament. Explaining how the new birth works, Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So faith in the atonement of the Messiah is the key. As a teacher in Israel, Nicodemus knew the importance of the sacrificial system. He knew that condemnation for sin was removed only by repentance and faith in the shed blood of the sacrifice. So by believing in Jesus as the final sacrifice, Nicodemus would merit everlasting fellowship by faith with God the Father. He wouldn't perish because he would receive the free gift of the new birth by the grace of God. The new birth would be imparted to him from above by the Spirit of God. And so from this we learn that the atonement of the Messiah is the grounds for the new birth. Jesus didn't expound a new doctrine of renewal since forgiveness of sins came through faith in the shed blood of the sacrifice. Jesus simply continued the doctrine 
of renewal. But he added the truth that he is the final sacrifice provided by God. In John 3:18, Jesus solemnly stated that whosoever believes not is condemned already. That statement was a serious reminder to Nicodemus that God is an all-consuming fire and he's not to be trifled with. We need the spiritual new birth because our first physical birth has no guarantee of eternal life. We're perishing under the judgment of God. Jesus spoke of two distinct births, one of the flesh and one of spirit from above. And since Nicodemus was descended from Adam, he was born without spiritual life. He was, as Jesus said, born of the flesh, but like all of us, he needed to be reborn from above after the spirit. You see, had Adam and Eve not sinned, they would have lived forever in their bodies. However, because they chose to sin, their souls died and later their bodies died. All of Adam's subsequent offspring are born with spiritually dead souls. We may still be created in the image of God, but there's no spark of God within. Sin extinguished the spark of God. Only the rebirth provides the regeneration of souls and also for the resurrection of the body. In the new birth, the Spirit of God is rekindled within us. So the Lord's rebuke to Nicodemus, are you a master of Israel and don't know these things, suggests that Jesus was teaching an old doctrine to Nicodemus when he said, except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Jesus said, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. Theologians have concluded that Jesus was referencing Ezekiel chapter 36 because that passage mentions both water and the Spirit. In fact, theologians say that verses 23 to 27 of Ezekiel 36 may be regarded as the Hebrew Bible's parallel to John chapter 3. And since Jesus did mention both water and the Spirit, what could this have meant to Nicodemus? Well, those were metaphors known to Nicodemus and to his generation. Jewish proselytes who were baptized were considered to be new men, little children newly born. But of course, water can't quicken or give life to man. Only the Spirit quickens or gives life and gives us a radical renewal of the heart along with spiritual eyesight. Baptism doesn't have inherent power to work regeneration. That's why water baptism is an outward sign of an inward work by the Holy Spirit. Water baptism was practiced by the Lord's forerunner, John the Baptist, to prepare the nation for the Lord's coming. Elsewhere, the Apostle John wrote in his epistle, 1 John 5, 1, Whosoever believes that Jesus is the Messiah is born of God. So belief, that's how the new birth works. Those who are born of God become newborn babes in Messiah. They have new relationships. For example, a new relationship to God as Father and to the Messiah and new relationships with the world and also a new relationship in opposition to the powers of darkness.
Faith in Jesus is a new way of believing, thinking, and acting. When we're born of God, we resist and reject hatred, envy, strife, jealousy. We know that we've passed from death to life because we actually find ourselves loving the brethren. But we also have a new intolerance for the powers of darkness. We have a new aversion to sin. Things that were once attractive become detestable to us. And 1 John 5.18 teaches, we know that no one who's born of God makes a practice of sinning, but the Son continues to keep him, and the evil one cannot touch him. This means that the power of the God of this world over the newborn child of God is broken by the cross. Satan is no longer the landlord and ruler of our lives. Well, in the history of the church, there have been many radical power conversions, such as Saul of Tarsus, who became the Apostle Paul, but it's not always so evident. The reason why many people don't always recognize that somebody is born again is that the life of the newborn child of God is a fresh start, a, a new beginning. It's a do-over, and the born-again person will begin to manifest the fruit of the Spirit, but not overnight entirely, because the newborn child of God also has to grow and has battles to fight. Our human nature nags us and tries to pull us down. This spiritual warfare is not just from the devil, but it's from our own rebellious flesh because we're still human beings even if we've experienced the new birth. We're still living in these bodies. We don't become an angel or a superman or a superwoman but we can learn to overcome the evil inclination by yielding to the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. And as we grow in grace and in the Word, we become more Christ-like. We can't rid ourselves entirely of our human nature until our death or until the rapture. But the good news of the gospel is that God doesn't expect us to clean ourselves up. He knows we can't do it. Instead, God himself applies the cleansing blood of the Messiah when we put our faith in Jesus, Yeshua, the Lamb of God. He cleanses us individually from everything that was wrong in our family, from everything that was wrong in our business, from everything that was wrong in our hearts. God promised, I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean. And he does this by the blood of the Lamb. And nowhere in heaven, nowhere in earth or hell, is a detergent that will dissolve and wash away sin except the precious blood of the sinless Son of God, Jesus. God provided a just system of cleansing us because sin mustn't go unpunished. The Lord took our sin and laid it on His Son, and He carried our punishment on the cross. The Lord Jesus accomplished atonement for our transgressions as our substitute and Savior. Furthermore, upon the Lord's ascension to the right hand of God, the Holy Spirit was sent as a gift to renew us, to give us new life, to create a new heart and a right spirit within us, to change our inward cravings and desires so that our outward conduct is also changed. I pray that everyone within the sound of my voice has experienced the new birth 
or asks the Holy Spirit for this free gift of salvation according to the merits of the risen Savior, Jesus. Yeshua HaMashiach. A.W. Tozer said, The atonement in the blood of Jesus is perfect. There isn't anything that can be added to it. It's spotless, impeccable, flawless, perfect, even as God is perfect. Amen. So I invite you right now to receive that perfect atonement of Jesus and his blessed forgiveness. Hallelujah. Also, I invite you to contact our ministry on the social media or through our website at exploits.tv where you can sign up for our free color newsletter, Exploits, based upon Daniel 11.32, which says the people who know their God will be strong and do exploits, will do the works of the Lord. And at our website, you can learn about our latest prayer convocations in Israel. And please don't forget to download our free Jerusalem Channel app onto your mobile phones or tablets. And so until next time, always contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem, I'm Christine Darg. Shalom and Maranatha. During a recent Middle East heat wave, these Israeli fitness fanatics are competing in a marathon cycle contest right outside Jerusalem's ancient Jaffa Gate. They're peddling furiously day and night to win prizes. Well, here at the Jerusalem Channel, we're also peddling as fast as we can, figuratively speaking, to keep up with the ever-expanding demand to watch our video teachings about the Holy Land, Israel and prophecy, and the Hebrew roots of our faith. With our recently added free mobile app, viewers around the world can watch and listen on their mobile phones and tablets. But all this video streaming comes at a price. Whether you're talking about megabytes, gigabytes, or even terabytes to provide high quality video to a global audience. That's why we need your help to meet a challenge of $30,000. With that goal, we plan to expand into several new video streams specializing in topics that will be a blessing to you. So please help us to run the race with your gift. Just click the donate button on our website to give by credit or debit card. Or write to us at Box 2768, Stanton, Virginia, zip code 24402, where American donors can receive a tax-deductible acknowledgement. And in the UK, we can claim gift aid on your donation. Send it to Box 109, Hereford, HR4, 9XR, England. Thanks for being a part of the Jerusalem Channel Outreach.